What's up, beautiful people? I'm Nathaniel Pearl. And I'm Sam Sheva. And welcome to Curious Chimps Podcast, a show where we explore the infinite complexities of the human experience. We do not endorse anything illegal. So please, consult the doctors, do your research, and for the love of all that is holy, be safe. All right, let's talk about drugs. Curious, curious, curious chimps. Okay, so I think uh, we're ready to start. Awesome. Thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. I'm happy to do so. Yeah, I came across uh, what you were doing. We'll get into it, but I saw it on uh, Facebook, actually. I saw someone shared an article that recently came out about Field Trip and how okay. you guys are the first. Well, you'll get into it, but you guys are doing psychedelic therapy. It's a center that I guess it's waiting for legalization or clinical okay. And you're going to do treatments for all sorts of mental issues and uh, mental health problems and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. I mean, right now we're using ketamine as a, as a psychedelic. Um, and then, but the idea is, is that we're using ketamine really as the vanguard for hopefully many other future psychedelics like MDMA, psilocybin, but we can build a business around ketamine therapies, help a lot of people in the meantime and really build a business so that when psilocybin or MDMA or LSD or DMT or whatever the case may be finally get approved or legalized, uh, we'll be able to add those to our therapy and kind of like a turnkey solution that gets things going really quickly. So oh, nice. And just uh, for our listeners, you your name is you just want to introduce yourself and um, what your position is in that in the field trip? Sure. My name is Ronan Levy. I'm uh, one of the co-founders and executive chairman of Field Trip. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, I was just joking before. I was like, Ronan's a freaking cool name. <laughs> 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 just throwing that out there. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. That's uh, So you guys are the first center that's operating or that's open right now in Toronto or in Canada per se? Yeah. I believe we're the first in Canada, actually. So there are clinics doing ketamine infusions. Um, so we're not the first. I think we're the second uh, to be doing ketamine therapy per se. But what makes us unique is that we really do this as, as psychedelic medicine, which is to say most ketamine infusions and the other ketamine clinic in Canada, and most of the ones in the U.S. are giving people ketamine through IV infusions. And they're treating it like an antidepressant. You, know, you sit there, you get the IV infusion, and then you go home. Um, but antidepressants, by their nature, and ketamine IV, by its very nature, they don't address the underlying root causes, the emotional drivers for depression, anxiety, and all that kind of stuff. They're just kind of masking the symptoms. Whereas we look at ketamine or other psychedelics, not as a, an end in and of itself. It's not a pharmacological solution. It's just a catalyst to make psychotherapy much more effective, to help you unpack the emotional drivers that put you in depression or into anxiety or PTSD. So you can actually process the feelings, process the emotions. That's what leads to long-term healing and sustained change. Uh, just picking a different drug to try and mask the symptoms isn't going to do anything for your long-term benefit. It's just going to, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. It, it yeah. helps, but... Uh, it just means that you're going to be on that endless cycle of going back for more in the future. Whereas if we can use psychedelic molecules to really unpack people and open them up to psychotherapy, we can actually give them the tools to stay on a course of being depression-free for 
the rest of their lives. You know, it's the, the old expression. Uh, you give a person uh, um, a fish, you feed them for a day, you teach them how to fish, you feed them for a lifetime. And it's really that kind of thinking. Yeah, I, I agree. I, um, sorry. Oh, no, I just, I was going to say, it, just, use this guy. Yeah. <laughs> it feels um, this whole, there's like a paradigm shift in, in, in this field right now that we're realizing that we've been treating the symptoms for so long and that like the deeper underlying layers are always, are, if they're not looked at and observed and worked through, it's just going to be this endless cycle of pharmaceutical drugs that are, you're basically on for life. And the things that I'm seeing with psych, with psychedelic therapy and all this kind of stuff is that it's, it's not an easy route, but it gets to the bottom of the, of the core root issues in, in people's minds. And that's the that, everlasting effects, you know? That's exactly it. We were just having a call about our, our protocols today, actually. Um, and, you know, I kind of want to steal Home Depot's slogan for the work we're doing, which is, <laughs> you can do it, we can help, right? Like, it's work. It's like, you got to do the work. If you don't do the work, you don't get to the end and... You know, I can wax philosophical for a long time about how we need to also shift our sense of like the struggle paradigm, that the only things that are worth doing are hard. And I think there's like something fundamentally interesting and odd about the fact that we only value things that are hard. But mm. when it comes to, to psychedelic therapies, it doesn't need to be hard, but you do need to do the work. You have to turn inward. You have to face your demons. You have to face your fears. Um, you have to face traumatic experiences to move through them and, and get to the other side. So yeah, I think, uh, I think there's a growing awareness. And I think, you know, on a, a broader conversation, I think it's a reflection of uh, sort of growing awareness that our move away from spirituality, not necessarily religiosity, but spirituality, thinking that, you know, we're purely rational beings, that we're purely materialist, um, not a function of soul um, or connections like the planet or anything along those lines has led us astray and is probably one of the drivers of so much depression and anxiety because we've just lost a deep connection with what it means to be a human. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had this conversation with a friend once because he asked me, he's, he's like, what, is, what does it mean to be spiritual? Like in your definition, he asked me. And I said the, the best way I can describe it that resonates with me is a, just a deep connection with self and awareness of myself and really understanding the driving force behind patterns and everything. And that's the best way I could describe spirituality is just reconnecting with self in, a, in an honest, yeah. pure way. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, I like, so I, I work with a, a coach um, out of LA. His name is Erwin Perlman. Uh, and he gives this great example to sort of help people think about this because, you know, in, in our society, in our very logic, rational driven society, um, people think, you know, think in materialist terms that like I can feel it, I can touch it, it's real. But he gives the example of, you know, sight. He's like, when you look at something, you know, if you were to cut into a person's optic nerve and look in that optic nerves, you won't see the picture that they're experiencing. It's just electrical signals traveling down the optic nerves, which your brain, through what he calls the sense of imagination, converts into the image that you see. So if our entire experience of reality is just the tran translation of electrical signals into experience, then inherently we have entire control over that experience like that spirituality to me right which is like a recognition that and, and it's also like uh, consistent with what we're seeing in quantum physics not by any stretch am i an expert in quantum physics though i find it fascinating yeah. is that like objective reality doesn't really exist we live in a per perpetual state of 
uncertainty uh, and the experience that we have is just the conversion of electrical signals into an experience and, and therefore is inherently non-objective, is inherently non-materialist. Um, and uh, I don't know, I find that fascinating. And that's how I kind of get a sense of spirituality is the recognition that so much of what we think is real is, is just our observation. Um, and that opens up the potential for so much more in this world. Mm. I think it's really philosophical. I, I've always leaned on, um, on etymology, actually. Like I get mad at people online when they're like, what's spirituality mean to you? And I'm like, well, actually, <laughs> you know, like I whip my dictionary out. Like spiritual, like something that's spirit is something that it, it like the, the meaning of the word is something that's real, but not physical. So you guys are, you guys are describing the fruits of spirituality, but I would say that the word just kind of reveals itself at like the ality, like the, the, the suffix, it means like the, the, the existence of, or, or pertaining to, you know, so the, the reality of spirit. Yeah. So if someone's in line with the things that are real in their lives, but that are not physical, and that's so much stuff. Like you're saying, like the optic nerve example is perfect because it's like so much of our reality is that imagination or the interpretation, you know, the 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 isness, you know. Yeah. So the 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 electrical signals are interesting and valuable to a, an extent, but they're not going to make you grow as a person, you know, like science, uh, like you talked about religiosity before, like there's a kind of scientism that, that is obviously taken hold and, and the whole materialistic uh, vibe that is the main like bottleneck for stuff like uh, psychedelic uh, therapy is, is rampant, you know? So I feel like using that science like angle to go back and say, well, look, this is what the word spirituality means. And this is what it can evolve into in your day-to-day -day existence. You know, like look at everything around you that you don't see, that you can't touch, like love and loyalty and and uh, like just anything that's kind of connection-based, anything that's kind of personal. All of these things are governing your life, foundational to your entire perspective and perception. And we just we just like we just ignore it yeah. <laughs> as a as a culture, as a society. Yeah, exactly. I, you know that the focus on spirituality like it's not like it's it's not entirely harmless because when you get into things that can't be measured and that can't be objectified to some degree then they can be used for you know uh, nefarious purposes right you can convince people of anything so like there's a balance and like uh, again Erwin talks about this idea of like perfect intelligence is the perfect interaction of emotion or spirit and logic, right? We can't dismiss science. We can't dismiss objective data-driven science, but that doesn't mean science can measure everything. It's inherently imperfect um, in terms of measurement. Maybe it's just because we're not good at measuring things or good enough at measuring things like love and beauty and all that kind of stuff. We just don't have the right metrics. Maybe those things are inherently measurable and then we can get data-driven around it. We're just not there yet. but. Uh, it doesn't mean we should ignore science, but it also means that we should recognize that science is inherently imperfect because it's, A, driven by, like, humans, right? You know, ultimately, we're the objective measures of them in, in, in most respects. Um, and it's built on our knowledge of physics, which is also incomplete as well. And then as that grows, I think you'll start to see, and this is like going back to that quantum physics example, you'll start to see that science and spirit, spirituality actually are pretty closely aligned in, in many respects. When you think about 
you know, the definition that, that you offered of spirituality being a, you know, I think everyone calls it like a connection to spirits or the reality of spirit, not necessarily like, you know, believing in, 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 you know, elves and fairies and all that kind of stuff, which again, it's like, maybe that's okay. Maybe it's, I don't know. But, you know, people think about spirituality, especially people who are hyper-rational and, and go to the extreme definitions of that. And that's kind of like the same problems with like our political conversations, yeah. right? Which is we always go to the ends of the extreme, whereas most of the interesting stuff is actually right in the middle where it's like, okay, there's fluidity. I may land on this side and you may land on this side, but we're not that far apart is the reality of most things. But those conversations when they're um, kind of uh, um, pedagogical, just go to the extremes because it's easier to make points. Yeah, you have to use use zero or a hundred, but the the truth is, I mean, like we're we're kind of getting into this idea of like a holistic point of view, and it's it's not perfect. You're you're cutting off the fat for a for a point, you know, like in, right. in the case of psychotherapy, like a like a psychedelic therapy, you're drawing kind of Venn diagrams. You you want a scientific approach to a spiritual outcome, maybe or a spiritual process, and you know, a lot someone has described. Um, psychedelics especially in the in the light of therapy as kind of like i forgot the name of it but you know when like a surgeon is is doing work and they have that thing that like keeps your keeps your wound open so they yeah. can work like that's what that's what the the the, the molecule is is doing for totally. for the real yeah so you were saying like they'll just they'll dose somebody with something like ketamine uh, like intramuscularly or intravenously or something, and then just like have a good day kind of thing. And then this person just had a crazy experience. It's like, no, I need to talk to someone, like a therapist, a shaman, a friend, anybody, please. And they're just like, see you next week, like as if they just like had talk therapy or something. And they just went through the washing machine of, of like time and space, you know? <laughs> oh, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's actually one of the conversations that we've had on, on our side, which is, you know, at least one of our investors and an advisor, Dr. Dave, Dr. Randy Sherlock, um, you know, he's a, he's an oncologist. He's a radiation oncologist in LA. He's extremely well-established. He's a doctor. So he's clearly got the scientific rigor and background in him, but he also believes deeply in the spirituality around psychedelics. And he's like, one of the things that modern therapy, especially modern psychedelic therapy probably does poorly is like, people may have a psychedelic experience and they may experience God or goddess or Buddha or whatever, however you want to define that. And it's like, are, are, are the therapists who are doing the work actually prepared to have those conversations because they're all clinically and academically trained uh, and not necessarily equipped uh, to talk about a person's experience of God. You know, and I'm, I'm not saying that you necessarily have to believe in God or anything along those lines, but for, that person who had that experience and experienced God is very real for them. Um, and so how, how do we prepare ourselves as a community, as a society to really re-engage these conversations? Because as psychedelics go more mainstream and people have more really mystical experiences, you can't help but bring spirituality back into the conversation. It's going to be forced back in, whether you believe in it or not, it, it's going to happen. We're going to have to have that discussion because that's a lot of people have those kind of reports when they have those experiences. So it's, it's kind of like, it's going to push into the, the therapists. Um, oh, uh, sorry. Sorry. Oh, I thought I heard something. It's going to push into the therapists. Um, uh, spectrum of what they have to talk about because these are going to be constant repetitive cycles that they're going to be hearing so that's really interesting what is there any type of preparation now that's happening specifically for psychotherapy for 
in prep for these kind of discussions with with future patients? I mean, it's it's a conversation that we're starting to have, but truthfully, it's it's very preliminary, right? You know, where it's it's a function of of the society and and that we live in is that everything has to be done with the you know a medical and the scientific rigor, uh, which is inherently by its nature um, rational, logical, fact driven, and and you know, so so most of the therapists that we work with, you know, listen, they're very open minded and, and great, but uh, they're coming from a particular lens and an angle and um, some are certainly more comfortable with the ideas of talking about spirituality and, and mysticism and others are not uh, but there's no real training for it because the training you get in most academic institutions don't prepare you for that so it's like one of those things that like you have to learn by doing and experiencing and um, you know keeping an open mind and keeping humility uh, to recognize that uh, you know we don't know everything therapists don't know everything no one knows everything and so uh, just learn from each new experience and, and hopefully make the most of it and, and develop wisdom on the back of that. I feel like the, the holistic idea demands like a, a group of people with different specialties, you know, instead of having like this, this like oncology radiologist learn about like Buddhism or something, like just get a guy, <laughs> you know, like there's like the, I, the way I picture it and I, I could be wrong, but like, what we're talking about is integration, you know, like instead of uh, reenacting or, or like, let's say, like reintroducing something dramatic or or just adding something new without giving it context, you know, i.e. this this like psychedelic trip, this experience, you need that you need that integration. And that, that's just very personal. That's why it's instead of it being data driven and being like uh, scientific, obviously riddled with the biases that, that come. But also being restricted by the, the the method itself. It's like, let's just get a group of people who are specialists and who are all for the goal of helping someone. And then you kind of work backwards. You, you take some risks, but you you go, okay, this is gonna help this person, but then you can, you can measure afterwards what certain parts of the brain are lit up or whatnot and see what's helping them and why or why not. And you can start, you know, getting statistics. But in the end, it's like, okay, is this person Christian? Get him a priest. And then, then they can have some conversation about God after having a God-like experience or a religious experience. If they're more into Eastern mysticism or, or specifically Buddhism, or if they're freaking Shinto or something, like just get them a guy or girl that is going to help them integrate what they saw. Does it have to be like specific in, in the way it helps? uh in the in the third person does it have to be about a, a, a type of god or a type of religion or some kind of agnostic or secular spiritualism like or can it really just be what helps and then it can be very uh biased but like colored by the person who is being helped you know like is is that a is that a possibility that's that that's my that's my vision for the future it seems idealistic and Maybe a little reckless, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> so I don't know. You know, I, I think the most important thing in any integration therapy is just empathy, right? And like people understanding what that person's, person is experiencing, um, whether it's an experience with, you know, Jesus Christ or Buddha or some undefined God or whatever the case may be. You know, as long as you can empathize and give space and hold space for someone to have that experience and be real and then have 
the understanding of what emotions, whether it's awe or beauty or hope or whatever the case may be that, that kind of transpire out of that experience, that's how you do, I think, powerful integration. Um, it doesn't matter what, who the God is or anything along those lines or whatever the mystical experience is. It's what does what does that create in terms of impact for the person, um, I think, is the, the most essential criteria. And that's like, I think it's one of the challenges with uh, the, the way we certify people. Uh, not to say that our, you know, the therapists working in our clinic aren't, aren't fantastic. They are fantastic, but you don't get to measure a uh, person's empathy, you know, when you graduate, you know, they're measuring their ability to understand and process facts and information. Um, and uh, so, you know, finding a way to bridge that gap. But listen, I think most therapists by their nature are empathetic because you don't go into to therapy or clinical psychology without having a degree of empathy. Um, but uh, certainly some are more empathetic than others. And, and uh, you know, I think that that makes for the best sort of therapeutic experience and, and psychedelics or, or otherwise, to be quite honest, it doesn't need to be specific to psychedelics. Yeah, I guess that's why it's important for them to be kind of versed in the psychedelic realms a little bit. Like, 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 obviously, it's a very personal experience. But like, I just, I feel like maybe I don't I guess this is I get I'm, I kind of want to form it as a question. But like, the, the do do the therapists have to undergo the treatment? Do they have to know what they're kind of putting people through? Like, what's the is, is that a, a badge, let's say for for the for the empathy? <laughs> Uh, listen, I mean, in our clinics, no, absolutely not. That's not a condition. Uh, I mean, there's a legal consideration of we can't impose that as a condition by and large because most of these experiences happen uh, in, in gray market or black market scenarios. But um, but I also don't think it's essential. I think, you know, the, the, going back to the whole experience on psychedelics is it opens people up. But psychedelics are not the only path to having these experiences they're just a very potent and powerful way for people to have these experiences but it's no need no by no means you know you don't need to have a psychedelic experience to have a mystical experience people can do that through meditation they can do that through any number of ways um so i think the more important thing is that they can empathize with the experience than having had it necessarily directly themselves through the same path a key word you mentioned was humility, and I think if a therapist has a the humility just to listen, and even if they don't agree with some of the things these people are mentioning, some heavy topics about gods that might not resonate with the therapist, just the humility of, of letting that person share whatever they experience is probably, in my experience of seeing and sharing circles after ceremonies, um, just the, the act of sharing and, and being heard without judgment was already a huge part of the integration process, you know? And that's like that's like some of the most valuable moments after psychedelic experiences, able to share it and just speak your mind and process it out loud. Totally. Yeah. Uh, that, that actually came up in uh, our conversation today, which is uh, a number of our first patients identified the fact that they were able to speak, felt no judgment as one of the most powerful therapeutic aspects of the, the experience. But, you know, I think it's it's. Uh, the ketamine um, in our in our case right now, the ketamine opens people up to start feeling emotions and having experiences that they were otherwise closed off to. So it kind of blows open the gates, and then you know the, the sort of next next hurdle is like, am I going to be judged for it? And and then you get to that next hurdle, and you have a therapist uh, who is holding space and, and no judgment, and it's you know it's one of the most um, empowering experiences that many people have because most people 
you know, either through self-judgment or external judgments, you know, have never felt safe to be truly vulnerable and to, you know, sit in a room and be able to like share literally your deepest, darkest, most mystical or crazy, however you want to describe it, experiences and have someone sit there and be like, amazing. Uh, it's, it's a really powerful experience for a lot of people. And that's why we're, you know, so focused on the psychotherapy aspect of that. You're not going to get that from just taking a drug and, and you know, being left alone, whether it's a classic psychedelic or ketamine, it doesn't matter. It's like, that space, you know, and, and yeah. listen, people can hold that space for themselves as well. Like, you know, it's one of the things that I've worked on personally. It's like, how do you have hold space and compassion for yourself without judgment, without, you know, castigating yourself for all the mistakes that you've made in the past and all that kind of stuff. And it's not easy, but I think it's the place where all of us probably want to work towards. Yeah. It's like when you can get true self-compassion, um, and remove judgment from yourself. It's, uh, I think that's a pretty high mountain to be on. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, that's I'm striving one. for it. It's a, I feel like it's a multiple lifetime type of uh, ordeal, but it's even, <laughs> even working on it is already a beautiful amount of, of, of aid to your life, you know? Totally. Yeah. I feel like we get a taste of it with, with others. I've had like other psychedelic experiences or, or like Vipassana also, like just having this long, drawn out meditation retreats and the there's this silent click into that self-compassion that giving space that i don't even integrate or really take into account and then suddenly i am holding space for myself and all of and everything's being integrated more easily but i kind of glossed over this like this shift in perspective i don't know why like oh sorry i don't know why like i'm um I talk on my hands. I got to watch out. <laughs> I, I always have this, uh, just personally speaking, I, I, I mirror people, you know, so with like a self-reflection and giving myself like this kind of personal holding of space, like a therapist would, it's not easy for me. So I'm definitely one of those people who, who, who needs to like work on that. And, and, and like, it's, it's like a field that you pave like for so much other stuff to happen in your life, you know? And, and uh, I think it would definitely, I mean, when I did an ayahuasca ceremony, the fact that other people were there was like a hurdle to go over. And then once it was over, it was so much more therapeutic because there was like this catharsis that was like the, the, the background to everything that was going on. But uh, yeah, but giving it to yourself is, a, is like a, a little bit of a Rubik's Cube for me. It's like really, it's a... Uh, Obviously, it's important, but it's, it's, uh, I don't know, it's like cooking my noodle right now. I really don't <laughs> do that. I just kind of notice it happen. Do you, I mean, um, we don't have to talk about this if you're un uncomfortable with it at all, but I mean, I'm sure you're not. Like, do you, what are your personal psychedelic experiences? Uh, or like, do you have any familiarity with like certain psychedelics? Have you tried the ketamine uh, uh, therapy? Like, uh, no, my, my psychedelic experiences are actually fairly limited, uh, limited to only uh, psilocybin mushrooms. Um, and truthfully, it's only been a little bit more than a handful of times, so it's limited. Uh, however, like I've, I've been very active in, in kind of sort of metaphysical coaching and, and meditation for a long time. So even though psychedelic experiences are super intense and offer a lot of insight and re revelation, um, it was just like a, a more intense version of experiences that I've already had and, and you know, through, through a meditation practice and, and all that kind of stuff. But, um, 
but I think your your point is is right. You know, even for me, getting to a point where I can, you know, even just I, I'm definitely not at the point where I can have a lot of compassion for myself uh, or not hold myself in judgment, but. Even getting to the point where all the thoughts you have, like when you're just going to sit there and let your mind wander about why something happened or anything along those lines, and you're like, hey, that's a pretty fucked up thought. Um, you know, most of us would probably try to repress it or be like, oh, that's stupid or whatever the case may be. Um, and just even having the wherewithal to be like, maybe it's not stupid. You know, maybe it's not properly defined. Maybe it's not properly expressed, but there's a there's a kernel of truth in there that I can dig down into further and start to understand why I do this. Um, and just like getting to that level of, of you know self reflection, I think is is a great place to start. You know, and uh, yeah, I think with psychedelics, when people have a psychedelic experience, it kind of like for a little while. And and I would define, and, and I'm not fully an expert, so I'm not I'm not coming from a medical or clinical background, but you know, that part of our brain, the part of our psyche that says, that's a stupid thought. Get that thought out of your head. That's our ego, right? Like that's that self-defense mechanism. And if you look at the, the theory and the evidence behind how psychedelics work, it's like they kind of shut down the default mode network, which is where the ego seems to live in the brain. Uh, so that's why people are able to actually have a lot more self-compassion and let some of these thoughts that would otherwise be repressed or shoved away uh, percolate and, and drive insight and meaning. Um, and uh, so... It's great if you can get there without psychedelics. If you get there through psychedelics, but it's a it's a good place to be, um, and it's a, it's a long journey, that's for sure. I think I think meditation is uh, eases the way, though. You know, like you're 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 talking about defense mechanisms, and you and like I feel like meditation brings you face to face with yourself, and there's this kind of bubbling surface that that is all of that you know the 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 shut down thoughts or the, the why are you doing this like just the doubt the whatever it's all it's all like the garbage but kind of it's intelligent it's like trying to protect you it's this ego like judo where it's like no like keep doing what everyone else is doing you know like like don't be the master of your own experience like stay in in beta and just like copy what's going on around you because then yeah. you'll be accepted you know where the truth is like like i was talking about those other treatments and the, the ayahuasca ceremony a lot of a lot of these treatments give you that there's this forced space and time where either with a professional or alone you're you're just the, the those those defense mechanisms lose steam they come back and they come back and they come back and then they just kind of wind down and then you're like you just you just have uh, like space in between the breaths to 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 really feel what's going on and I've been starting to use that with with real, with just with basic life. Like if you're binge watching something on Netflix, if you actually stop like for 30 seconds <laughs> in between episodes just to think about what you just saw, you you it changes your life, you know? It, like so imagine you saw like whatever you saw in the psychedelic experience, the taking that breath just consciously or unconsciously at least like you're you're consolidating the memory just a little bit more instead of just going next 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 so yeah. it's it's almost like a problem of our generation as well it's it's uh it's weird yeah you know you know so sure. much can be solved too by just taking those moment pauses and and reflect and observe and like that could be a majority of the time that could be a huge healing component where you get out of that reactive state and you're just you take that little, that's like mindfulness practice, but those little moments where you just observe, whether it's 10 seconds, 30 seconds, or uh, hour meditation, 
that literally changes the way you approach anything that comes towards you. And it's such a yeah. valuable practice. Yeah. I, I like the, the, the word I like to use is, you know, going beyond reflection to allowing, you know, um, which is allowing yourself to experience those things. Like if you think about it, one of the things I like working within the psychedelic sphere and having some psychedelic experiences now has taught me is just how impactful art is right at the end of the day. It's, all about just seeing things through a new lens, like getting a different perspective on things, feeling emotions that you may not have felt before or allowed yourself to feel before. And so I give the example of, um, I was on a flight home from, uh, I can't remember, I was on a flight and I watched the movie La La Land, right? And La La Land is like, it's a great movie, but it's particularly structured to manipulate you to have very intense kind of romantic emotions. and. And it usually up until that point, I would kind of just dismiss those being like, oh, these are fake emotions, right? They're manipulated emotions. No, they're not. Not at all. They're actually very real emotions. The feelings I'm having are 100% real feelings. Um, just because they're created by a circumstance that's not objectively real, it's something on a screen, doesn't mean they're not real emotions. It's the same with the psychedelic experience, right? It's like those are real emotions. They may be coming out of circumstances where, you know, uh, you're being chased by a dinosaur in your trip, who knows? Clearly not a real, objectively real experience, but those emotions are real and they can still move you and they can still transform you and transmute you. Um, and so like just the allowing of that being like, oh, I felt that, you know, let me understand it, you know, because clearly there's information and, and that's another thing that's get lost is there's information on emotions, right? Whatever you feel, it's always real. Um, it's just understanding why and how it came about that's relevant. So you can take that information and make decisions about your future and how you want to live. Right. Yeah. So true. There's a show I was watching called uh, humans and it's like about like these AI that become intelligent. And this, this woman, this like artificial being is feeling emotions and she's asking why a lot. And this, this guy answers this really, this very philosophical question, like, there's, don't ever ask why. Like you're feeling what you're feeling, and I like, I mean back like back to your point. Like I I almost cried in that moment. Like these these shows will they're they're designed to invoke emotions, so you feel like cheapened a little bit. But you know if there's some swelling music and the the guy kisses the girl uh, right after saving her or whatever, like let her rip, man. Don't ask yeah. why. <laughs> Yeah, but listen, I, I actually, I think I disagree with that last thing about like, ask why, why am I feeling it? What does it mean? And how, how do I take that and understand about how to live my life forward in a more meaningful, happier, better way, right? It's like certain experiences, like my wife is terrified of uh, airplanes, like fighter jets for whatever reason. I think they're fucking cool. Like when a, when a plane flies overhead and you just get hit with that sonic wall, I think it's exhilarating, right? Uh, she's terrified. It's like, okay. You know, instead of just being terrified, it's like unpack why you're terrified. Now, if you get into like, you know, a lot of the spirituality and like deep metaphysics, it's like, is this something from a different lifetime? And it can get into like conversations that most people are uncomfortable with, but it could be very real about like, well, maybe it's just a big feeling of feeling out of control or like energies of such like intense masculine, not not like male, but like a, a masculine energy of, of, of creation. Um, you know, is uncomfortable to people. Okay, why? It's like, you know, maybe I had an issue with my dad. You know, like all yeah. of a sudden, like you can unpack all of these experiences and be like, you know, I just saw a fighter jet, but 
that really helps my relationship by understanding why that fighter jet scares me because uh, it showed me something about myself, right? So it's like, always ask why, but don't be judgmental of like, it's stupid. No, it's like, no, it's real. It's not stupid. Um, there's something in there that, that can be learned and it can be very powerful. So, so be open, allow, allow it to be. I really I like your, kinds of why. I really like oh, your sorry. approach for, uh, the, with the word allowance. And I never actually used that when it, when I talked about these states and it was more about surrendering and, and accepting, but allowance is beautiful in its way because it's like you still have, you're giving the okay to let it happen. And you're, you're, you're giving, you still have that power. You haven't relinquished that power inside. So I really, I really That's like, exactly right. yeah. So I really like that, that term allowance when it comes to these kind of experiences. Yeah. You, yeah. you can open and close the gate, right? You're not, you're not giving yourself up. You're not, you know, losing who you are. You're just opening yourself up to be more of who you are, to be quite honest and, and see more things. Uh, I think it's a really powerful thing. It's like, it's one of the things that, you know, I talk a lot about with Erwin is like, how much are you willing to receive? Like, there's all this information coming at you all the time, whether it's, you know, what we conventionally think of information, whether it's emotions, um, and like, how much you're willing to receive of that and, and let it move you and change you. It's always up to you. You know, it's your choice to, to open up or not. And most people are closed off is the problem. You know, and I, I became aware of it, just giving another anecdote. Um, yeah, early on when I was actually, the first session I had with Erwin, it was during a time when I was in the process of about being about to break up with a girl. Um, and he's like, okay, so why are you with her? And uh, I was like, well, you know, she's smart, she's funny, she's attractive, she's got a good job, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, and? And I'm like, and what? And he's like, and you don't love her. And I'm like, yeah, I guess. And he's like, so what good is that list of things that you just gave me? He's like, you're trying to rationalize, use your brain, uh, an emotional experience. It's like love is an emotional experience. You can't rationalize it. Like logic isn't going to help you make an emotional decision. It never will. Like you may make a decision based on logic, but uh, it's not informed by emotions necessarily. And like when it comes to emotional decisions, like whether you should be with someone or not, it's like you got to listen to emotions. And so like, just even allow like the emotions of like, oh yeah, it's like we, you know, a lot of people, you know, particularly men, not exclusively, but particularly men, like we over-rationalize things, you know, men aren't supposed to, what men aren't supposed to cry kind of thing. We're not supposed to feel our feelings. So we become so hyper-locked in, in our brain and the rational mind that we never let in the emotional mind. But like, even like that first kind of like, okay, it's okay to say like, even though logically there's a million reasons why I should be this person, Emotionally, I'm not there. Allowing that one nugget of emotion into my life was a profoundly life-altering experience in a very positive way. Um, and uh, it all came down to, like, was I willing to receive the information that at that time my heart was giving me, but my brain was trying to strike down because it was scary or as complex or it was you know, hard to implement or anything along those lines. It's just fighting who you think you are, sort of, or who you want to be. So you have to like accept this new reality and it's like a small death a little bit. It's, uh, it's a key word I think that, we all know how that feels. It's a key word yeah. want to be. You know, we, we all operate on those systems of wanting this and wanting to be that. And we ignore these, these foundational systems that are operating, the emotional part of it where we kind of, I guess it's a man thing. I'm not sure exclusively like you said, but I, we're, we're pushed to put that aside and just to trek forward and ignore and just trek forward and ignore but that creates so much internal misery that eventually you forget what's starting that misery. You know, 
know, and it's as simple yeah. as listening to the emotional state of what your heart is talking to you for, for whatever is talking to you, but it feels like it's the heart, you know? Totally. I'm like, and again, going back to like, not, not going overly spiritual. It's like, there's now pretty strong biological evidence that your, your heart a has neurons in it and actually drives uh, your stress response and, and your your logic response in certain circumstances. A friend of mine works for a company called HeartMath, um, and uh, it's all based on that premise of when it comes to particularly your stress response, your your heart actually has much greater control. Like your actual organ of your heart has much greater control over the experience and outcome than than your brain does. Um, that's now science. That's not spirituality. But you tell that to someone being like, "No, your stress is in your heart." Uh, most people would be like, yeah, that's, that's bullshit. And it's like, no, that's like, yeah, maybe 30 years ago, there's a good reason to think that because there's no scientific evidence to support it. But now like the science and the spirituality are actually in pretty close alignment. It's fascinating it just keeps, to see. It keeps becoming that, right? Yeah. <laughs> it just keeps. It's like we're really kind of in a sense rediscovering ancient knowledge with, uh, with a more uh, like tested uh, method now. And we're kind of just proving the things that have been talked about in spiritual texts and in practices. You, these are these are concepts that have been talked about in yoga practices and mindfulness practices. And, and it's been around a long time. And it's it's interesting to see that we're getting back on those roots, but with this this tested approach where it's kind of now it's being verified to our standards. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, it's exciting times to see where these kind of therapies are going now. I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Um, the process of, of a, let's say a patient comes to you. Right? Nate, you're breaking up. Can you hear me? We're losing you. Hello? Can you hear me now? There we go. You're yeah, back. you hear me? I don't know what's going on with the audio. Uh, can you hear me? No, it was the, it was the, internet. I think it's the internet. Yeah. Okay. I was going to, I wanted to ask you about the process for a patient to come to your center and what are the requirements and what kind of patients come to you and what's the process of going through that whole experience? Yeah, so in Toronto, <clears throat> because ketamine is still a prescribed drug, which means you need to have a doctor prescribe it, uh, we're actually pretty restrictive on the number, on the type of patients that we work with right now. So uh, in order for you to be a potential patient with us, you need to have treatment-resistant mental health conditions. So treatment-resistant depression, anxiety, eating disorders, PTSD, which treatment-resistant meaning that you've tried at least two um conventional or as uh, certain people like to call it historic options before you can try the, the progressive option. Um, and so that means you've tried at least more than one SSRI or antidepressant or you've done an antidepressant and cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, and if you qualify, so you have a clinical diagnosis, you've tried two conventional treatments, uh, then we can treat you in our clinic. And that's just really a function of how, um, conservative you know the guidance in Ontario is around uh, different approaches and, and novel approaches to different therapies uh, in the US where medicine is a little practiced a little bit more progressively I would say um, you know we'll be able to help patients who want to just come in for kind of exploration or psycho spiritual growth or anything along those lines so you don't necessarily need to have uh, a, a clinical diagnosis. You can just come in because you want to experience growth and work with a therapist in a, in a drug catalyzed way. Um, and uh, so in the US will be different, but at least in our Toronto clinic, it's for people who are treatment resistant depression uh, or anxiety or other mental health conditions. <laughs> and so the process would be 
go to your doctor. You come to us directly and we can either we either direct you to go back to your doctor or if you don't feel comfortable going back to your family doctor. You know, we have physicians who we work with who would be willing to give you a referral to come to our clinic. Uh, once you, we have that referral, we'll review your medical records and history because ketamine is not appropriate for everyone and this type of therapy is not appropriate for everyone, uh, even if you are treatment resistant. Um, assuming everything looks good then, uh, you come in uh, and a course of treatment for us is you would do six ketamine sessions, uh, which are paired immediately after with an exploratory therapy session. Uh, exploratory therapy really just being like, what did you experience? What did you feel? What emotions came up? All that kind of stuff. So not terribly uh, proactive cognitive behavioral therapy, just more like holding space to give a form for what your experience was. Uh, and then you do three um, treatments, ketamine treatments with exploratory therapy. And then after the third one, you do a full integration session, which is you sit down with a clinical psychologist and they use cognitive behavioral therapy techniques to say like, okay, you're in a window of neuroplasticity, you know, you're more receptive to the effects of cognitive behavioral therapy and, and, and mindset and outlook change. Let's put that into practice and let's talk through what that looks like and how you do that and all that kind of stuff. And so you do that three treatments, ketamine treatments, integration session, and three ketamine treatments, and then an integration session. So that's, uh, that's what it looks like for uh, a typical patient in our clinic. That's awesome. I, that's, for something to be so like uh, well designed and and I mean that sounds perfect in my mind. I'm not, I'm not a professional either, but that just sounds amazing. I think of like a lot of friends or or people I might know uh, and stories online where people are just kind of like um, I don't want to say self medicating, but they're they're kind of they're, they're getting the, the front page news that psychedelics are, are being used for therapy. And then they might like microdose psilocybin for a month, but they're, they don't have that like additional therapy or, or something like, you know, it's, it's not as, um, it's not as specific or controlled. It's just kind of like the drug will do all the work. Yeah. You know, so that's actually a real problem we're having with our first patients is they come in, they see all the news and conversation around psychedelics and all that kind of stuff. And they come in and, you know, they do their first session and they're like, oh, I thought the ketamine was going to do everything. I don't need the therapy. And it's like, Ugh. I mean, not everybody needs the therapy. People who are very sort of advanced in, in self-reflection and all that kind of stuff could do a lot of the integration work themselves. It's always better to have someone like reflecting into you. So it's always better to have a therapist, but you can do a lot of it by yourself if you're equipped to do so. But yeah, no, it's a problem. People think it's going to be a cure. You do it once. I'm all better. It's not, like I said, like, um, you kind of want to steal the Home Depot slogan. You can do it. We can help, but you got to do it. It's work, you know, there's work involved with it and you got to go through, you got to go through those veils. You got to climb those mountains. You got to slay those demons. Um, yeah, and uh, if you don't do that, listen. I mean, there's no judgment, but you just won't have as much progress as you may wish um, without putting the effort in. I love how you called it a window of neuroplasticity because I've never put it into English before. But that's exactly what it feels like. You know, like you might have a profound spiritual experience, but now you have this kind of wobbly self that you can like kind of slap the clay a little bit and and get something. Uh, you know, not you're not. You're not start. You're not shaking the etch a sketch. You know, you're still you, like you said. Oh, sorry, my my phone beeped. Uh, but you're more you, like you said. Like you, you've just explored something new. So it's really just simple integration. Like we can take the woo woo out. 
the woo-woo vocabulary, I think, is more damaging than anything. There's just woo-woo involved in life, <laughs> but it's, it's this, it's this like, it's there's I, I almost want to use the word vulnerability. Like you're just you just went through the washing machine, and now you're like, okay, what? And then someone can come in and say, yeah, what? I don't know. Maybe start journaling. Maybe think about like, what do you want to work out? Don't you think? Don't even. Don't even think about your experience. Think about what you want to help in your life and try to use that. Or like your any any professional, any therapist is just going to be this this like a sail for the wind. You know, they're not going to try to direct you too much. And if like you're saying, if you're able to direct yourself, then they'll they'll give you the space mm-hmm. to do so. So I don't know. I'm 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 interested in 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 stuff like Iboga also which I, I don't know, I'm sure you're familiar with, like, that sounds like a bit of a miracle drug. We had some people on who, who were giving us stories and that does sound like maybe you need some integration work after or something like the holding space, the whole, but like there's something about the drug itself. There's something about the, the experience itself that seems very profound. And that being said, that doesn't seem to reflect with ketamine, psilocybin, MDMA, LSD, all of these seem to like stretch your brain and then you have like some something you have a, you have like a window to work in and i'm just like i'm just i just love that you said that like i'm <laughs> i feel like a kid with a new toy like i can just say that now that's exactly how i felt after i did my ayahuasca ceremony i had this yeah. big space and it was left unattended and i kind of fell into a depression yeah, that, that can happen. I mean, that's one of the things you see. It also, you hear stories of like, you know, the ego um, coming back with a vengeance, right? Like you hear the concept of ego dissolution on these trips. Um, but, you know, usually if it's not done properly, it's just like stretching the ego like an elastic band. And when you let go, it just comes flying back unless you take down the slingshot that it's attached to. Um, so it's like, again, it's like, by and large, psychedelics, as you guys probably know, are, are quite safe, you know, at least the classics in terms of low risk of overdose and the stories of people like jumping off buildings and all that kind of stuff are, are generally more, but not entirely so, but they're more urban legend than, than anything else. Um, but they're not harmless, you know, you can put yourself in a worse psychological state, like especially because they open up vulnerability. And if someone abuses that vulnerability, you know, it can create more trauma um, than you had in the first place. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, there's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big advocate to see, um, greater access to, to psychedelics, but I also think that we should be cautious, you know, and, and thoughtful and, and not be reckless in terms of opening it up to, you know, just free form anyone who wants to do whatever can do whatever. I think that can be, uh, that could be, I don't know, a bad outcome, maybe not, but certainly behooves us to be cautious and prudent and, and advancing this, which is to say, like, I don't, I don't necessarily think it needs to stay in a solely medicalized department like it is right now. I think things like what's happening in Oregon um, creates like a, the psilocybin services initiative, which means anyone could really access it. You don't have to be sick, but you have to do it with a qualified professional. It's like, that, that's a good way to do it. That's smart. You know, let's not, uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Maybe a world where psychedelics are totally ubiquitous and everywhere is, is a wonderful world. <laughs> we don't need to be in a rush to get there because it may also be, you know, a terrible, terrible world. So let's, uh, let's take one step at a time. For sure, a very different world. I don't think necessarily a better one, but I, I, you know, I, I'd actually, I'm actually curious about like all that being said. 
Okay. You were saying how the people who come to you for treatment are the, 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 let's say like whatever preliminary and more, more agreed upon or more accepted treatments that have not worked. So in my mind, these are the more dangerous cases. These are the more susceptible people. Let's say the higher psychosis people or whatever the terminology is. And then, and then a, a, a psychedelic is like a, a counterindication. So I find that like a weird, like, do you think that's a safer bet? Like it's kind of like a last resort, but obviously there's a bunch of screening that goes on to see if it is proper. I guess what I'm wondering is what are counterindications for, for something like ketamine? Like what is, what is going to turn someone away? What are you, what, who are you going to turn away? Like if, if they have something. Yeah. So uh, typically patients um, who have a history of addiction are turned away because ketamine itself can be addictive. Um, uh, so really? we don't want to treat addiction with addiction. Yeah, it can be. Um, uh, people with bipolar or schizophrenia. So like the most extreme cases, like there's the most extreme cases, which, you know, institutions like uh, CAMH, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health uh, in Toronto kind of thing. Like those are the most extreme cases and we won't deal with those. The people we're dealing with typically are, you know, relatively high functioning people uh, who have very intense, you know, depression, episodes of depression um, or anxiety or anything along those lines. Um, uh, but, you know, people who have, you know, independently dissociative states, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff, we, we won't treat those people. We're not, we're not tackling the hardest cases out there. Um, we're tackling the, the hardest, at least as a starting point, tackling the hardest cases within a narrow band of otherwise relatively healthy individuals. What is the current state? Because I, I know one of my friends is working at a clinic right now and, and the psychologist, the leading psychologist in that clinic is talking to him about in the next year or two that psilocybin is going to be the next one that's kind of open to medical practice. Is Can you confirm that or do you have any knowledge of like what's what's the next one's coming? Or if there is? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't have any firm knowledge because yeah. it's still to be determined. The future is still be to be still to be written there. But uh, you're likely to see MDMA as the first. It's not technically a psychedelic, I suppose, but typically referred to psychedelic being legalized or no being approved. So uh, the clinical trials are in phase three. Uh, yeah. Maps, which is the multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies, just announced that. Uh, they have like 90% statistical significance in their studies, which basically means that it's working. Um, so, you know, there's a few hurdles to still clear, but you're very likely to see the FDA approve the use of MDMA for uh, chronic severe PTSD or just PTSD in general uh, sometime in the next year or so. Uh, so by 2022, 2023, uh, it's uh, very likely you're going to see legal access to MDMA uh, in a medical context. Psilocybin uh, will probably be after that, which is probably around 2025 for the current clinical trials, unless things like the Oregon Psilocybin Services Initiative move forward, at which point you'll see access in a more wellness style model as opposed to a medical model. Um, and then <coughs> uh, in Canada, you know, those same clinical trials that are going on in the US will be relevant here. But what's unique about Canada is that when you look at cannabis, uh, it actually came about through constitutional challenge. In 2001, the Ontario Court of Appeal found that denying access to cannabis for medical purposes uh, was a violation of Section 7 of the Charter, which provides for life, liberty, and security of person. 
Um, and so if you look at the facts and arguments of those case, cases and you look at the facts and circumstances, at least specifically the psilocybin, it's really hard to conclude that if faced with the same, the same question around psilocybin, that a court would conclude that the continued prohibition to access for psilocybin for therapeutic purposes uh, was constitutional. So other, otherwise, you know, sometime in the next couple of years, you're going to see uh, a court challenge. Uh, we know that it's kind of in play already. Um, uh, so depending on how that plays out in the next two to three years, you may see the, the government of Canada forced to create a program much like the medical cannabis program that existed until, well, it still exists, but it was kind of overshadowed by the access to um, uh, adult use cannabis that came about, I guess, a year and a half ago. Wow. It's, it's exciting times. <laughs> cool. It's, it's a great time to be alive. Um, you know, it's nice to nice to see that uh, reason and logic are overcoming stigma and political ideology, um, well, at least hopefully. What was so valuable about having maps around is that they did the legal hurdles. They went through the process. This is like a 20, 30-year buildup. And then they went through all the steps, and now it's finally the science is, is proving what they they hypothesized but they knew and now it's just it's showing it's showing to allow that actual approval by the government and the and all those uh systems in place that the data is irrefutable mm. and it's like yeah. once you crack the door open you start sneaking in all these other <laughs> these other like substances you know like you were saying about cannabis it's like it's set yeah. a precedent now it's like if 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 this then that you know <laughs> yeah so I, I, one of the concepts I love playing with going back into that conversation around spirituality is this concept of morphogenic fields. I don't know if you guys have heard about this. Rich Eldrick. Yeah. So like the, <laughs> the sort of basic concept being like, or the basic example being like throughout human history, not a single person of all the millions and billions of people that lived had ever run a four minute mile. And then Roger Bannister runs the four minute mile and literally within minutes of him running it for the first time, other people are able to run the four minute mile that like, when you when a single person has like a psychological or emotional breakthrough it creates a path for other people to do the same thing whether it's a physical act or an emotional or mental act it all happens and there's lots of studies that confirm that i find that so cool yeah that's so I, powerful i try to i try to forget about it because it's mind-blowing that there's some <laughs> kind of like uh there's some kind of like 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 spiritual pheromone thing going on, you know, there's some kind of feel like this human yeah. oversoul. And it's like when one cell figures it out, it's, it goes and like spreads. And I, I've seen studies with mice and mazes. I've seen studies with, uh, they, they've like reused, um, uh, what's it called? Crossword puzzles. Okay. So, so that like, like, you know, hundreds of people have, have like done them already. So the people who were being studied, like, and like their aptitude for, for crossword puzzles, suddenly the ones that have been done a bunch, they were like way better at them. And like, just, yeah, there's a bunch of, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. You know, we talked about the problems in measuring stuff like this. Like, this is one of those examples, you know, it's not exact, it's not pseudoscience, but it's hard to put a finger on it, but man, yeah. it's cool. It's fucking, it's, I don't know what to do with it. Anyway, this yeah. is a whole other conversation. I don't want to veer off into some <laughs> mystical convo. We'll try to keep it on the rails a little bit. <laughs> but it, it is yeah. it's true, I guess. I guess maybe in a slow way the 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 kind of like the the shamanistic uh indigenous vibe, you know, like the been around for thousands of years of it all has just been slowly like disseminated back into the this whole like hurrah science culture. 
And it's like, oh, yeah. we can science this too. <laughs> but it's it's insidious. Nate always jokes that the vines of ayahuasca are like growing in, back into society, you know, and it's, yeah. we can call it what we want with our, you know, lenses. But in the end, it's going to bust our ego in half and make us yeah. act right <laughs> or, yeah. or feel better or whatever. Like it's totally, the, yeah, the therapy's endless. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, it, it's, it's about the assisted therapy, you know, like there's like when you're treating cancer, there's more than one therapy and they'll combine them to, to be more effective. There's a bunch of stuff like that. A holistic, like we were saying before, you know, I, I, I feel, I feel like I want to take part in this. I feel like I want to be like, I, 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 I'm for the first time in my entire life, I have a therapist now and I'm speaking to someone about my life and my issues. And it's very new to me. And I feel like it's missing something. And I feel like back in the day when I was a teenager, like partying with, uh, with like LSD or, or just popping ecstasy pills or something, obviously the set and setting was terrible and that was missing something also. And I just talking about all this now, I feel like I really got to marry the two somehow. <laughs> and it's not, you know, it's not like available. It's getting there and I'm happy, but it's like, it's, I just wish I had access to it. I wish I could kind of make it happen for myself. Yeah, you're ready to go. I hear you. <laughs> Guys, I gotta, I gotta get off this call in two minutes because I gotta hop on another call. That's, so that's perfect. Do you, have, do you have anything else that you'd like to discuss or, or bring up uh, before you go? Like uh, anything? No, this has been awesome. Like this is a con these are the conversations that I think we need to start having, which is like the science is is happening. The you know classic medical academic sciences are happening but some we start gotta start having these other conversations about like the the spirituality of it so this is an awesome forum and it's been super cool to talk about this and share thoughts because uh within you know our business we're very focused on this piece of the equation so the science and scientific and medical um but i think it's important that we start having a spiritual and uh more emotional conversations around this kind of stuff so it's it's been awesome Oh man, it's been a pleasure having you on and I really appreciate the work you guys are doing and I'm excited to see where this is going to head and the, the laws that are going to be in place as time progresses. Um, if people want to get to more information about you guys, where can they check you out? I'll put a link in the description too, but if you want to do some plugs or anything. Yeah, that's great. Um, so if you want to learn more about our clinics, fieldtriphealth.com uh, is where you can find out. We also just launched our own podcast called Field Tripping. Uh, epic trips and psychedelics uh, where we talk to celebrities and doctors and scientists and all sorts of cool people about their experiences on psychedelics and how those experiences have changed the course of those people's lives um so you can find that at fieldtripping.fm um and two places to check things out awesome man awesome we really appreciate all right we'll it. let you go man but thank you so much thank yeah i appreciate it thanks guys it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun yeah. keep in touch yeah uh, we'll talk soon absolutely Take i'd care. love to do it again <laughs> awesome Thank <laughs> you.